collapse. We've already seen the kingdoms of men that he's described rise. We've seen them fall. But we know there is a future fulfillment of this prophecy that we will look at this morning in a little bit greater detail. Remember as well that when we get to a text like this, it answers some of our questions, but it also raises a lot of other questions. As a matter of fact, typically when we get to a passage like this, if we're familiar with it and familiar with the context, it'll answer some questions and it'll raise some others. If we're not familiar with it, if we've never read or studied through Daniel before, never looked at Daniel chapter 7, haven't spent a lot of time in Revelation, then this brings up a lot of confusion and a lot of questions for us. Because what we tend to do when it comes to uh, apocalyptic prophecy or when it comes to end time things that we see in Scripture, we tend to do one of two extremes. One, we ignore it completely because it's, it's beyond us, we feel, and we just feel like it's maybe too scary, maybe too intimidating, and so we just don't dwell upon it at all. And so some of you this morning are probably in that camp where you're thinking, you know what, I just avoid it. I don't read through Revelation. When I get to those weird chapters in Matthew and Mark, I tend to just kind of skim through them because I don't understand them. I avoid Daniel like the plague. I, I just, I, I, it, it, it bothers me. I don't understand it. And so I just avoid it, right? And if we're honest, there, there, there's a portion of us that probably treat, that, treat Revelation and ap- apocalyptic prophecy like that. And then others go upon the other extreme and they just dwell upon it. Like that's all that they study. That's all that they read. They write books about it. They read about it. They're constantly thinking about it. They dwell upon it and they dwell upon it to the point that they ignore the rest of Scripture. Either one of those is not good. Amen? Like both of those is not good. Right? God gave us his word, all of it, for his purpose. So we need to read it and we need to understand it and study it to the best of our ability. So we don't want to ignore it, but we also don't want to dwell upon it to the point that we ignore everything else. Amen? And so we're studying it. We're trying to figure out as much details as we can, but we want to just remember that we're not going to come away from this sermon having had everything figured out. We're not going to have a timeline of when all this is going to take place, and we're still not going to know when Christ is going to return. Right? And, and just if you think, just I, I love saying this, if you think that Jesus is coming back in your lifetime then that's fine, that's great. Just know that everyone else who's ever thought that has been 100% totally, completely wrong, right? So you you may be right. Jesus may come back in our lifetime. He may very well. But I just want us to all realize and acknowledge every generation has thought that, right? For various reasons, every generation has thought that and every generation has been wrong. And every generation has thought, well, we're not wrong. Not even, not mean barely even any smiles. I've already offended you, I like it. It's good stuff, right? Seriously, every generation has thought, well, yeah, but they, they didn't see this. We're, they, we're, we are right. And every generation has been wrong, amen? So is Jesus gonna come back in our lifetime? I have no idea. I have no idea. No clue. And neither do you and ne- neither do anybody else. People writing books about it, they don't know. People putting videos up, they don't know. No one knows but the Father. Amen? No one knows but the Father. So let's not try to figure out the things that God's already told us we cannot know. And let's just focus on what we do see in the text that is clear. Right? And what we saw last week is that God is sovereign over all things. And this text has been given to us so that we could see his sovereignty on display even in a magnificent and difficult and even troubling way. And so that's what we're going to see this morning, the sovereignty of God on display. Now, we're not going to read 
all of verses 1 through 14, but I do want to remind you of what we saw last week. First of all, we saw that the sovereignty of God is on display as he raises up the kingdoms of man for his purposes. We saw that in verses 1 through 8 as Daniel recalled his visions of the four beasts. Remember that those four beasts each represented four different kings or kingdoms that either had happened in Daniel's lifetime or were going to happen sometime in the future all of which have happened in our past. And so, for instance, verse 4 was the first beast. It was Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon. Verse 5 was the second beast, the Medo-Persian Empire. And the verse 6 was the third beast, Greece and Alexander the Great. All of them have risen, all of them have fallen as we stand here today, right? All that's in the past. And then the fourth beast was the interesting and most intimidating and difficult beast. That was the historical Roman Empire, but it was also leaning up to the time of the Antichrist. And so just remember, Rome has come, it has risen, but Rome has now been conquered. Rome is no more. However... The time of the Antichrist has yet to come. And so that fourth beast represented Rome, the historic Roman Empire. But it also represented something in the future that we're going to look at in greater detail this morning. right? But what we saw in the first eight verses is that God was the one who raised up those kingdoms for his purposes. So what does that tell us? It tells us that regardless of how powerful those kingdoms are, God is still sovereign. Amen? There is not a kingdom, there is not a man, there is not a power that will ever usurp the authority of God. God is sovereign over all, right? And so God raises up the kingdoms of man for his purposes. Secondly, we saw that the sovereignty of God is on display as he establishes an everlasting kingdom through his son. Now remember... As we jumped into verse 9, we needed a little bit of comfort because verses 1 through 8 were pretty intimidating. And in verse 9, we see the Ancient of Days, God the Father, take his proper seat upon the throne as he exercises judgment over mankind. That fourth beast with the little horn that we know is the Antichrist that kind of scared us last week, God judged him in a moment, in a breath. It was all said and done because no one can stand against the power of our God. Amen? And then in verse 13, we see this great passage of Scripture that we are going to read as God gives the kingdom to his son, to the son of man. So look with me now, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse 13, and we're going to read verses 13 and 14, which is the climax of this chapter. It says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And that was the end of Daniel's vision. He ended it with Jesus taking his place as the one who reigns for all of eternity, the Son of Man who establishes his everlasting kingdom, of which we get to be a part of if we'll put our faith and trust in Jesus. Amen? And so he ends it in this magnificent way so that we're all looking at Jesus, and again, we see that God is sovereign over all things. However... When we get into verse 15, we begin to see that Daniel 
was not finished. Daniel needed to talk to someone about what all of this meant because he was still troubled in his soul. And so thirdly this morning, we're going to see the sovereignty of God is on display as he exercises judgment upon the sins of mankind. So let's pick up now in verse 15. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, and then we're going to jump into this text this morning. So here's what Daniel says after the vision In verse 15, he's still there in the night and he's still there in the presence of God as he speaks in verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. And then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horns that came up and before, which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until... The Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints pressed, or excuse me, possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise. And another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the peoples of the saints of the Most High. And his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but but I kept the matter in my heart. Let's pray. Lord, as we make our way through this text again. We pray for wisdom and we pray for discernment. Lord, there is much here that we just do not fully understand and comprehend. Lord, by your grace, you have given us wisdom so that we can understand that which is understandable. And Lord, we can understand that which you wanted us to know, the reason you revealed this to Daniel so that it could be revealed to us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we make our way through this text that you would be glorified in us and through us, that we We would learn and understand what you would have us to learn and understand. Lord, that we might apply this truth to our lives in such a way that we live for you more emphatically than ever before. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in us and through us today. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Well, again, we're going to see the sovereignty of God on display as he exercises judgment on the sins of mankind. Now, in order to kind of make this a little bit more digestible, we're going to break this into four different chunks of Scripture here, starting with verses 15 through 18, as we see a comforting summary of the vision. Now, I love what happens in verse 15. In verse 15, Daniel does what all of us do when we are faced with this topic, Daniel admits that it frightens him. Let's be honest. All of us, when we think about the end time events, when we think about the great tribulation, we think about the things to come, all of us get a little anxious and a little nervous. It is frightening to think about. Amen? None of us want to live through it. None of us want to be here when it happens. None of us want our children to be here when it happens. And to be honest, we don't want anybody in our distant or future relatives to have to live through it. It is a frightening set of events that is going to transpire. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And God's grace is the only thing that's going to get his children through those events. And so Daniel says what we say, I am scared of that. Right? Daniel says, I'm scared of it. And so in verse 15, it kind of puts my mind at ease because now I'm sort of, I'm in the same boat as Daniel. I trust Jesus. I trust God. I know he's going to win, but it still seems scary to me. Amen? And so Daniel says in verse 15, As for me, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me, or put it like we would say it, it scared me. And so Daniel says, I approached one that stood by me, likely an angel that was there serving the Lord in his presence. And he asked the angel, what does all of this mean? And in verses 17 and 18, we get the angel's comforting description or comforting reminder of the vision. Comforting summary of the vision. I love this. Look with me. In verses 17 and 18, here's what the angel says to Daniel to help interpret the vision. He says, the four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom, that's the fifth kingdom, and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever, and he's done. That's it. Direct and to the point. He gives no great detail. He doesn't go into the specifics of any of the kingdoms or what they represent. He simply says the four beasts are four kings. There's a fifth kingdom that's going to come. God's going to win. Jesus is going to reign forever. You're a saint. You get to reign with him forever and ever. Amen. Let's move on. Right? Now, this isn't going to work for Daniel. Daniel's going to come back in verse 19 and go, Whoa, 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 whoa. hold on. Wait a minute. I got more questions. Right? That's, that's not enough. I'm not comforted yet. But here's what I love. The angel who stands in the presence of God, who serves him for all of eternity, is not worried about what's going to come. Because he is in the presence of God Almighty, the Ancient of Days, and he knows that there is nothing to fear. How awesome is that? Isn't that incredible? We are freaking out. Amen? The angel that serves the Lord, the Ancient of Days... He looks at Daniel and goes, it's it's good. He's got it. Like, really, really, really got it under control. It might be bad for y'all. He's got it. Right? It's nothing to worry about, Daniel. God wins. Amen? 
And so this angel gives us a comforting interpretation of the vision. It's direct. It's short. No details are given. God wins. Amen? And so if you don't hear nothing else this morning than that, hear that, God wins. Amen? God wins. It's settled. It's done. It's final. We don't have to worry. God is sovereign. God wins. He will execute judgment on the sins of mankind, including the Antichrist one day. He wins. It's over. Amen? Now we could go home now. But like Daniel, we got more questions. Amen? Like Daniel in verse 19, we're going, okay, wait a minute, hold on. I get that. That's great news. But I'm still a little curious about what may take place during all of this. And so in verses 19 through 22, we get a troubling description of the fourth beast and its little horn. Now, let's notice what Daniel says here. Now, remember, verses 19 through 22, Daniel is speaking. This is not the angel. This is Daniel. And Daniel, again, is recounting or retelling his vision to the angel. And in doing so, we get another description of the fourth beast and its little horn. So listen to this as we make our way into verse 19. Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest. And then listen to how Daniel describes this beast. He says, first of all, it is different from the other beasts and it is exceedingly terrifying. It has teeth of iron and claws of bronze. Now, claws of bronze, that's a new detail. We weren't given that originally in verses 1 through 8. That's a new detail. And so he says it is exceedingly terrifying, teeth of iron, claws of bronze, and it devours and broke into pieces and stamped out what was left with its feet. Daniel says it had ten horns on its head and then another small horn that appeared and that horn appeared to be greater and stronger than the others and it had uprooted three of the original ten and that smaller horn, by the way, Daniel tells the angel, had eyes and a mouth and it was by far greater and superior than its companions. That horn waged war with the saints of God and here's the kicker, it prevailed over them. Now that's what's got us worried, amen? Right? That horn wages war on the saints. And what's troubling isn't that it wages war, but that it prevails over them. Until, verse 22, until, notice this, the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. Now remember, Daniel's already given us the vision. And so that until in verse 22 is taking us back to verse 9, which is when the Ancient of Days took his seat upon the judgment throne, right? And so the little horn, the Antichrist, it prevailed over the saints that were alive during that time until God showed up. And God showed up to judge the horn. Then the kingdom was given to the saints forever. Now again, Daniel is speaking here and he's simply recalling what he had seen as he awaits the angels to interpret it further. But when we read verses 19 through 22, again, we are alarmed, right? We're a little nervous. We're a little scared. We're kind of chickens now, right? Because in verse 21, it says that he's going to prevail over the saints and we don't want to be here when that happens. Amen? Amen? We don't want to be here when that happens. And so we're, we're nervous about what that might mean. And so then we jump in to verse 23. And in verses 23 through 35, or excuse me, through 25, this is where we see the intimidating interpretation of the fourth beast and the little horn. And this is really where we're going to dive into the details. So here's what I need you to do. 
keep your Bible open right, to this text. Keep your Bible open. Be ready to turn with me to a couple of other texts as we kind of try to scythe uh, through the details as best we can and figure out what we can figure out from this text. And so in verse 23, the angel begins to speak again and he gives Daniel more details concerning the fourth beast and its horn. Now, remember... The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom, which is Rome, which gives rise to the Antichrist or the little horn as it's referred to here. Now, this can be confusing, but it helps our interpretation to remember that part of this prophecy was fulfilled in the historic Roman Empire. And part of this prophecy will be fulfilled in a future Roman Empire, the details of which we do not know. And so here's what's happening. Some of this prophecy already came true during the historic Roman Empire that we read about in our history books. And part of this prophecy is yet to come about, and it will come about in a future Roman Empire of which we do not know the details of. Right? We don't know how that's going to happen, when that's going to happen, where that's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to continue to be called Rome or something different. Those are the details that we just don't know. Right? And we can speculate and we can guess that tends to lead us down rabbit trails that we never get to the end of, which is why it's probably not wise. We should just take it as for what it is. There is going to come a point where a future Roman Empire will rise and we'll figure out the details when it happens or maybe even after it has happened. Right? We're just not given any details here, so we cannot know all the details. But what we do see is that historic Rome has already been defeated But the sinful spirit of man that was epitomized in the Roman Empire still exists today. And as a matter of fact, that sinful thread that has threaded its way through all of humanity has existed since the fall of mankind. Let me catch you up. All right, everybody everybody, everybody still with me? Kind of confused, but still with me, right? right, It's confusing stuff, I get it. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? Fall of mankind, right? And what specifically happens is Adam and Eve look at a piece of fruit that is able to make them wise like God in knowing good and evil. And Eve looks at that fruit and she says to herself, this fruit looks good. I think it might taste good. And the coolest thing about this fruit is it will make me like God. And she takes, she bites the fruit and she gives to her husband who is with her. He grabs the fruit, he bites it in hopes that he too will be like God. What does mankind want to be like? We want to be like God. Now what's ironic is that we have already been created in the image of God. We are like God, amen? But that wasn't enough for mankind. Mankind wanted to be God, right? And that that sinful trait has passed through all of mankind since the fall of mankind so that no human being ever wants to be told what to do. Sound familiar? Do you like somebody telling you what to do? Not really. Right? We didn't like it when our parents started it when we were little babies. Right? Shh, be quiet. We're in church. Shh. We didn't like that. Right? We, we didn't like it. We don't like it when a, a spouse tells us what to do. We don't like it when an employer tells us what to do. We certainly don't like it when the government tells us what to do. Amen? Now we're hurting. Right? Like, we don't like it. We, we want to be able to do what we want, when we want, and how we want. We want to be in charge. Amen? We want to be in control. 
Why? Because we want to be God. Now, we don't say it that way. But at the end of the day, if I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want, then I want to be in complete and total control. I want all authority over my life. And guess what? Only God has that. So in order for me to get it, that means I have to usurp the authority of God. That means I have to try to become like God. And that is exactly what we have seen mankind do since the fall of mankind. And it was epitomized most notably in the Roman Empire which was the greatest and most one of the most harsh and craziest empires that the world has ever known. And this spirit of the Antichrist, that we can call it, is what we read about in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. This is a helpful verse. Listen to it. John says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrist, plural, have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Here's what John says. We know that the end is coming because we know that the Antichrist, the one spoken of in Daniel chapter 7 as the little horn, we know he is coming. Singular, the Antichrist. However, we also know that many other Antichrists, small a, plural, Antichrist, have already come and will continue to come. And these are those who will reject the authority of God, who will seek the worship of God for themselves. These are those who are going to say, no, 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 I want to be God. Right? And John says that many have come, and guess what? Many more will come until the one, the Antichrist, singular, the little horn of Daniel 7, will come. Right? And so it's of no surprise that there will be many Many, many, many who will reject the authority of God and who will seek it for their own, right? Who will not want to worship God, but will instead want to be worshipped themselves, right? And so we see that in the New Age movement. We see that in other movements. We see it in our heart of hearts. We want to be God. And so John informs us that the Antichrist, the one pictured as the little horn in Daniel 7, is coming, but that many more have been, and there will be many others to come who will come as well, who he describes here as the Antichrist, those who reject God and try to be God themselves. Again, this was epitomized in the Roman Empire, who all had, uh, who had leaders who thought that they were gods, and it will continue until the end of the age. Then we get the description of the kingdom in verse 23. So now look at the description the angel gives us there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces now what we see is that this was fulfilled in the historic rome who conquered most of the civilized world during its time and was the greatest empire the world had ever known up to that point and one of the greatest empires the world has ever known period Now, given that this empire that will ultimately be defeated at the end, we know that part of this has not been fulfilled. And look at what we see in verse 24. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. Now, what we see in verse 24 is that these ten horns represent ten kings who will come into existence sometime in the future, they will then give rise to the little horn that will take away three of the horn's authority, ultimately becoming authoritative over all ten kingdoms, the Antichrist, 
who will then rule over those ten unified kingdoms, what we think of as the one world government that's going to come at some point, right? And that he will rule over those until Jesus takes him out at the end of the age. Now, given the fact that those ten kings are going to be around at the end of the age, here's what we know. They haven't come out yet. Right? Because they're going to be defeated in the future. So they haven't, they're not here yet, right? Unless they're here and, and we don't know it yet. But they certainly haven't risen to prominence yet. Right? That there is, I don't know of, I don't know of ten kings right now that are willing to give up their kingdom and make it one big kingdom yet. Right? Like I, I, just, I don't see that happening currently in our current political climate and landscape. Right? So whenever that happens, it'll happen sometime in the future. Again, we don't know all the details, but we see that at some point this is going to take place. Now, this is also spoken of in Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 through 13. This isn't going to answer any questions for you. It's not going to give you more clarity, but I do want you to at least see that John saw the same thing happening just like Daniel saw it. In Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 through 13. It says, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. But they are to receive authority as kings for one hour. In other words, for a limited time together with the beast, which is the Antichrist. And these are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, which is the Antichrist. So in verse 25, we see that the Antichrist is going to follow up this authority that he's given by speaking blasphemy against God. He will wear out the saints with a great persecution, likely the great tribulation. His blasphemous and persecutions will include, notice, trying to eliminate religious activity by including all holidays and laws. Look at that in verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall think to change the times and the laws. Likely a reference to to religious times of Israel and the law itself. So not like change our calendar or change our time, like how we tell time and things like that. Most likely this is a reference to religious events, to religious worship things. And so... And notice that they shall be given into his hand for time, times, and half a time. We'll get back to that in a minute. So here's what it says. This Antichrist with these ten kings, they will seek to be worshipped, the Antichrist specifically, and he will not tolerate worship from anything else other than those who are willing to worship him. Now again... Revelation chapter 13. If you want to turn there, you can. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. So I would advise turning there if you can. And here's what I want to do. As we make our way into Revelation 13, I'm trying to do my best to outlay what is very, very difficult and confusing. And so in Revelation 13, we have John's vision in the book of Revelation of, of the same thing that Daniel's talking about here in Daniel chapter 7. But it is a different person. It is a slightly different vision. And so the imagery isn't going to line up exactly. However, I want you to notice the similarities between the two. All right? So stay with me. Notice the similarities as I read verses 1 through 10. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. With ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Out of its head seemed to have, excuse me, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. 
But its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemy word, blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundations of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, then to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, then with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. I love verse 10 because it ends with here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. When I get to that point in verse 10, I'm scared out of my mind. Amen. I'm nervous. Except for God says, here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. This is going to rock your world, but stay strong. God's still sovereign. Amen. Notice the similarities. Right? Blasphemy spoken. War against the saints. Right? Ten heads. Ten kings. All, all of this is not identical. The imagery doesn't line up perfectly. But it's painting similar pictures of the same events. And what we see is that this difficult, horrific time will be allowed to go on for a period. Daniel says it this way at the end of verse 25. For a time, times, and half a time. Now, most scholars agree that time is a year, and so time would be one year, times would be an additional two years, and then half a time would be three and a half years. John says it in Revelation, 42 months, three and a half years, same span of time. And so what we see is that this great persecution, this great tribulation, this great time of difficulty, it is going to happen. It is going to be awful, but it will only be allowed to happen for a short period of time. Now, what do we know? Well, I know for one, I don't want to be there. Amen? I'm, I'm good. Jesus, take me home. Right? That's, why, that's why all of us are rooting for, rooting for Jesus to take the church before this. Although I personally don't think it's going to happen that way. But that's what we're hoping for, right? Like we're hoping that's going to happen that way. But maybe not. Maybe so. We'll find out when we get there. But we all can be assured that this is scary stuff. Which is what Daniel said in chapter 15. I mean, verse 15. And by the way, it's what Daniel's going to say at the end in verse 28. I'm still scared. Right? So it's okay if this is alarming. It's okay if this is unsettling. But do not forget that God is sovereign. And even in the midst of this persecution, God will only allow it to happen for a short period of time. But, verse 26, we see a comforting end to it all. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion, the Antichrist, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. In verse 26, the Antichrist, I mean, excuse me, the Ancient of Days takes his seat upon the judgment throne and judges the Antichrist by removing his dominion, consuming him with fire, and bringing about his end. 
It's exactly what Daniel said back in Daniel chapter uh, 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its will burning fire. And a stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and thousands Thousands served him, and ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Then I looked, then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be consumed with fire. Verse 26, but the court shall sit in judgment. Daniel's talking or the angel is telling him about the same event. His dominion shall be taken away and consumed and destroyed to the end. God wins every time. Amen? God wins. It's not going to be fun getting to the end. But God is going to win. And no matter how we look at it, no matter who tells us about it, God wins every single time. And in verse 27, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Daniel says, here is the end of the matter. In the end, God will establish his everlasting kingdom. His son, Jesus Christ, will reign with us for all of eternity. Amen. And at the end, Daniel says, but as for me, Daniel, I was still pretty scared. I turned white. I turned pale. My color changed, and I didn't talk about it. I kept all this to myself. So if at the end of Daniel chapter 7 you're still a little nervous, you're in good company. So was Daniel, right? And if you had had all this revealed to you in the middle of the night, you wouldn't have slept for a long time after that either, right? And that's what Daniel's doing. Daniel's not reading this. Daniel lived this, amen? He lived this in what was one incredible, incredible scary vision for him to have to endure during a night. And why then does God reveal all this to us? What are we to do with the information and prophecy? Well, again, let me remind you, we are to take comfort in the sovereignty of God. God's in control. Amen? We're not. God is. We never are. God always is. Amen? God's sovereign. And we need to get really, really comfortable trusting in the sovereignty of God. Right? We need to get really comfortable with us not being in control. Because, spoiler alert, we're never in control. Like, even when we think we're in control, we're not in control. Amen? And so we need to trust and take comfort in the sovereignty of God. Also remember... We are not told these things so that we can put all the details together and figure everything out, right? Like, that's not why we're given the information. Like, we're, we're not supposed to be able to have all the knowledge of God, look through it, read through it, read through the lines, figure out, and then come up with our own timeline. That's not the purpose and the point, amen? And those who try to do that, do it wrong. That's not the purpose. Don't fall for that stuff, amen? 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 Like, that's just, that's just not, it's not what it's about, 
right? It's, it's not about those things. So don't, don't try that. Don't fall for that. We're not told these things to frighten us or alarm us. We are told these things to prepare us so that when these events occur, many of which, again, already have, we will be reminded that God is sovereign over all of it. Right? So, when, so when, it, when, it, when it all breaks loose, and when we're, when we're just confused and scared, and we don't know what's happening, we're told these things so that we will remember God's still sovereign. Because there's going to come a day when it's not going to look like God is sovereign. And for any of us who are alive and remain until that day, it is going to be bad. But God's still in control. Amen? God's still in control. That's why this information is given. So that we will be reminded that God is in control. Also, let me just give you this caution because I've had conversations recently, not, not with church members alone, but others as well. Notice that we're told enough to put certain pieces together so that we're not led astray by others who claim that these events are happening or have already happened. Okay, so what I mean by that is, listen, let me give you some examples. We do not yet see the future Roman Empire, right? But we see in this text that it's going to happen before the end comes, right? We don't see the ten kings yet, Right? But, but we see in this text that it's going to happen. Right? And remember, when we were going through the Gospel of Mark, Mark made it very clear. Actually, Jesus made it very clear to the disciples. Like, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines. You're going you're gonna to hear about all these things taking place. And Jesus clearly says, the end is not yet. Right? So we get all worked up about what Jesus has already told us is not signs. Like, that's not evidence. That's just this world falling apart. And this world's been falling apart ever since the fall of man. Amen? And it's going to continue to fall apart. And yes, it's going to get worse. But that doesn't mean the end is coming. So don't buy a book that tells you that Jesus is coming back next week. Right? He's not. So don't fall for it. Don't get swept away by it. Like, we're given enough details that we can look at this and tell, yeah, no, this hasn't happened yet, and this haven't happened yet, so this can't be true yet. Right? This just can't be true yet. I, I, again, I had this conversation the other day. Somebody asked me, you know, could this be this? And I was like, well, no, because this hasn't happened and this hasn't happened, so this can't mean this yet. Right? I don't know when this is going to happen, but I know I've been given enough information in the text that this and this has to happen first. And since this hasn't happened and this hasn't happened, then this can't be true yet. Amen? What do I know? I don't know anything yet. I don't know anything. I, but I've been given enough information to keep myself from being fooled. Amen? And, and, and then one more thing. When, when this happens, we will know it. Right? It won't be a guess. It won't be a I think. We'll know it. Amen? We'll know it. These things are going to happen in such a way that we're going to know and just take great comfort in the fact that we are told in Scripture we can't be fooled by the Antichrist. All right? Let me, let me, read, let me read that last little section of Revelation 13 one more time. It says this in verse 8. It says, or verse 7, it says, And it was allowed to wage war on the saints and to conquer them. All authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not 
been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life, the Lamb who was slain. In other words, if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you cannot be fooled. Somebody say amen to that like it matters. Right? Like, isn't that what we're afraid of? Like, we're afraid that the end's going to come and somehow God's not going to win. I want you to remember God's going to win and because you're His child, you're on His team. You cannot lose. You can't be fooled. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to be scared about. You are in His hands. The only thing that you need to worry about is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? In other words, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's why Jesus came onto the scene in Mark chapter 1. I know you're tired of hearing me say it, but saying the kingdom of God is at hand because he came to establish the eternal kingdom of God. And he said, if you want to be a part of it, then you have to, first of all, repent of your sins. You repent of your sins by acknowledging that you are a sinner and that sin is a big deal because it separates you from God. And so you repent of your sins by believing in who Jesus is as the Son of God and what he did by dying on the cross as a payment for your sin. Amen? And then you believe in who Jesus is so much so that you are willing to follow him in your life. You see, it's not just about praying a prayer, God forgive me. It's not just about saying, I believe Jesus is God's Son, so does the devil. It's about coming to the place in your life where you've repented and you believe to the point that you're willing to say, I will follow Jesus and no one else. I will stop trying to be God of my own life and I will submit myself to the authority of God in my life. I will stop following others and I will start following Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? Now, if you've made that commitment, you've learned the hard way that you continue to have to move yourself out of the way. Right? Like I'm constantly having to say, nope, nope, Jesus, you're in control. Sorry, I tried to take over again. Nope, 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 Jesus, you're still in control. Like that's a daily battle for me. And that's probably a daily battle for you, right? But in my life, in your life, have you committed yourself to following Jesus? And as you look back over your life, can you tell you've been following Jesus? If you've been following Jesus, it's obvious. Amen? Now, you've fallen, you've stumbled, you've veered off from time, to, to, uh, time or two. I know, right? And when I say a time or two, I don't mean in your life. I mean this week, right? Like, it's hard. It's a struggle. But as I look back over the course of my life, I can see I have been following Jesus. Not perfectly, but I've been following Jesus. Therefore, I know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, so I have nothing to worry about. Amen? I have nothing to worry about. And so let me remind you of the sovereignty of God. He is in control. He wins in the end. And if you are in his book, if you are in his family, then you win with him. And you will dwell with him for all of eternity. So what do we do with this information? We trust in the sovereignty of God. Will you pray with me? with your heads bowed and just you and the Lord, let me ask you, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? Again, I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you believe in who Jesus is or if you believe what he did. You, you, have, to, you have to do all that. 
You, you, you have to repent of your sins. You have to believe in who Jesus is and you have to believe in what he accomplished on the cross that he rose from the dead. You have to believe all of those things, yes. But you also have to come to the place in your life where you are willing to follow Jesus. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, those that are listening at home, those that are listening here in person, let me ask you again, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? One thing this text makes very, very clear is that we want to be in that eternal kingdom of God. And the only way to be there is by trusting Jesus as Lord and as Savior. So if you're here this morning, if you're listening online, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you to trust Jesus. I believe at this point, if if that's you, that God is already beginning to speak to your heart. You can already feel it on the inside. God is moving, and God is calling you unto salvation. And if you feel that, then I want you to respond. In just a few moments, we're going to stand to sing our hymn of invitation. And if you feel God moving, then that's your opportunity to come forward and say, Will, I want to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you've got questions and you say, Will, I want you to pray with me and I want you to meet with me after church today because I've got questions and I I want to make sure, I want to know, I, I need more information. Whatever God leads you to do, if you feel God moving, then I want you to respond. Maybe you are watching at home. Maybe you're listening to this message online. Then I would encourage you, reach out to us via message messenger, reach out to us via Facebook, but we would love to talk with you more about how you can trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But most importantly, make sure that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Make sure that you are a citizen of the eternal kingdom of God this morning. Then finally, believers, let me ask, are you trusting in the sovereignty of God? If we cannot trust in God's sovereignty in the day-to-day, we are in for some really difficult times when things really get tough. Tomorrow, we have the opportunity to practice trusting in the sovereignty of God. We have the opportunity to build our faith by trusting Him. When everything falls apart, we can still trust that He is in control and we can let Him use us for His kingdom and for His glory. Lord, we love you, and we thank you this morning for your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified now in how we respond. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.